Well, good morning, Thrive Church. Um, I hope that you are raising a hallelujah today. It's uh, Sunday the 24th, and this is the day the Lord has made. And I'm hoping that you have been finding something really meaningful in this series that we're doing on prayer. I know that I have um, some of the scripture passages I needed to be reminded of, and it has encouraged me uh, to continue just trying to be in God's presence, and I hope that's the same for you. Um, same question that we've been asking, um, you know, for the last, oh, I don't know, four or five Sundays. How'd you do this week? Five minutes a day, prayer time. Uh, again, if you were able to do it all seven days, give us a little heart if you're on Facebook. Uh, if you were able to do it at least four times during the week, give us a thumbs up. And if you just need a reset, again, no judgment, but give us a little ha-ha, a little uh, smiling, laughing face so that we have a, an idea of how everybody's doing. So I'm, I'm praying that this thing is meaningful for everyone else uh, like it is me. Um, today, uh, we're going to circle back to more or less kind of where we started, um, sort of. We're going to go back to the Lord's Prayer. Um, but when we started the series, we talked about Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And today we're going to talk about Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. And it's a little bit longer. It's just slightly different. Um, all of the main elements are there. Um, but, it's, but it's just, it's, it's slightly different. And more importantly, it's in a different context. And I think this is important to point out um, because Luke... Um, uh, if you'll remember, kind of gives us a progression. You know, there's the story of the Good Samaritan and then Mary and Martha. And then he launches into the disciples um, asking the question, Lord, you know, will you teach us to pray? And then he gives the, the Lord's Prayer. And so there's this progression within the text and, and, and it's kind of a beautiful thing. Matthew does it very differently. And we need to point this out <clears throat> because... Um, it, it kind of sets a different tone. And it's included in a block of teaching um, that we typically call the Sermon on the Mount. And so um, there's all kinds of teaching in, you know, chapters five, six, and, you know, basically seven. And in Matthew's biography of Jesus, and we call that the Sermon on the Mount, we find the Lord's Prayer tucked into that block of teaching. Now, this isn't unusual to have uh, two authors um, who, who place uh, similar blocks of material uh, in different places within in their narrative. And, and if you think about it, every author has certain freedoms. They have the freedom to choose uh, to select certain stories. And they have the freedom to, to uh, sequence them. So they're going to choose what stories they want to tell, uh, and they also can put it in a particular order. And in, in the, the thing that you must keep in mind, especially when you're reading the Gospels, is that each one of the authors um, is trying to reach an, an actual audience, trying to reach people. And so how they order things and the, the stories that they choose in, in, in order to pass along, to write down, to record, is really important. Um, so again, context matters. None of the, the uh, books of the Bible were ever written in any kind of a vacuum. There was an audience. There was a historical context. There was, there was a literary context. All of these things go into the author's understanding at the time that they're trying to communicate to, to you and me. And so we have got to kind of um, 
deal with those issues to really get at what's happening or what that author is trying to communicate to us, if that makes sense. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And that's where we're going to be. It's where we find um, this uh, uh, block of teaching. Um, but let me back up for a moment, because in Matthew chapter 5, um, Matthew records something. He says, Jesus saw the crowds. And so he goes up on a mountain um, and he begins to teach. And, and this makes perfect sense because if you're up on a hillside and you're, and you're speaking, you know, downwards to a, a large group of people, they can hear you. It's like a natural amphitheater. And so Jesus goes up and he begins to teach because he saw the crowds. And so we have the Sermon on the Mount. That's where the name comes from, obviously. And, and the thing of it is, is that when we read through Matthew's account of these teachings, um, it's very much concerned with righteousness. Um, and I think that the language uh, of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven uh, is kind of laced throughout all, all of this teaching. And so consequently, righteousness um, becomes a part of the kingdom. And so really, if, if you look at the whole thing, and you're trying to understand it, the Sermon on the Mount deals with what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's what this teaching is about. Jesus is trying to explain to these people, look, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, here's what that looks like. Here are the things that you need to know. And he begins to, to talk about these things in earnest so that people would understand. And so at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus brings up three practices, um, very specific practices. And, and let me point them out for you. Um, first is giving, um, what's often called almsgiving, giving to the poor or the needy. And we find that in verses two through four. Um, also prayer, which is our interest today, um, verses five through 15. It's a big block of teaching on prayer. And then finally, fasting, um, verses 16 through 18. Now, here's the thing that you need to, to think about. These three practices were common, um, even required in the Jewish religion. These were things that every Jew was expected to participate um, in at some level. And what Jesus is ultimately doing is saying, look, if you, you should do those things, but here's what those things look like in the kingdom of God. So it's not just the fact that you're doing them to, to obey the law, the Torah, but rather if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, here's what that looks like. Here are the nuances. Um, here's what you need to think about when you're engaged in these practices and trying to be part of God's kingdom. So in each case, there's some parallel language. And I want to take a look at each one of these uh, so you can see them. So let's read through the first one. Um, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, keep that in mind because 
We're going to go on to verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Again, towards the end of this, verses 16 and 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Did you you catch the pattern? Did you hear some repeated words? Yeah. And you can see them uh, in this last verse. You know, don't do what the hypocrites do because they will have received their reward. And what's done in secret will be rewarded by God. So you've got this repeated pattern throughout um, the entire um, passage here. So we've got these three things. It's really important um, to not do it this way, but rather to do it in secret. And so... The section on prayer is the longest, uh, which is fortunate since that's the um, passage or the, the, the subject matter that we're studying at the, at the moment. So let's go back to verse five. And, and it says, and when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. You know, don't be like the hypocrites who try to do it where everybody can see. Okay, they're gonna get their reward. But if you go into your closet your father who is unseen, he will reward you. You see, the thing of it is Jesus presumes that, that his followers are going to pray. Um, and in Judaism, you would do it at least three times, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, around 3 p.m., and again in the evening. And it's not that Jesus is knocking public prayer, um, because sometimes we, we pray in public too. Uh, you know, there's somebody who leads. And that would have been the case in a, in a local synagogue as well. There'd be a person who leads. That's not what he's talking about. But rather, this I, in, instead of this idea of public or corporate prayer, what he's talking about is really a condition of the heart. It's the motive behind the prayer. If that makes some sense. Don't do like the hypocrites do. They say they're praying to God, but what they're really doing is they're praying to gain honor for themselves. And Jesus says, don't do that. That's the reward. There's something else, and it has to do with the motive of the heart. If you go into your prayer closet or into your room and you close the door, then you're serious about about the subject matter, not about how it looks. In current kind of political terms, we talk, we talk about optics. What are the optics of this? And what Jesus is saying is don't do it for the optics. Do it for the right reason. What's the motive in, in the heart? And, and I like to think of it this way. Prayer is for God alone. Um, it's between us and him and no other audience is required. When we go and do our prayers, it really is about the relationship we have with him. And that's, and that's enough. It doesn't have to be more. So don't be like the hypocrites. But interestingly enough, 
he turns the phrase a little bit in the very next verse. Here's verses seven and eight. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I, I think this verse is actually quite funny. Um, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. A uh, couple, couple of things here. Um, this idea of babbling is just to kind of drone on and on and on. And uh, perhaps you've been around people who pray like that. Uh, I know I have. And um, uh, you, you kind of wonder why. Usually it has to do with nervousness. But the other word here that we need to pay attention to is this one called pagans, um, because this is the, the word typically for Gentile or non-Jewish person. So uh, Jews would think uh, in terms of Jew and non-Jew. And so what Jesus is saying is when you pray, don't keep babbling like the non-Jews do, like the Gentiles, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. You know, normally... Um, like I said, we, we add words out of nervousness, especially if we're praying out loud. But we also um, add words because of fear. We, we want to make sure that we don't miss something. Um, or we, uh, we pray extra words out of superstition. Because if we just get the right combination of words, then maybe God will, will answer us. And I understand that, and frankly, I've probably been guilty of both on more than one occasion. But really what's happening here is we think that more words will actually convince God of something. And um, we continue to tack on more and more and more, hoping that uh, through the additions, God will answer or change his mind or whatever it is that we're praying for. So we add words out of fear, superstition, and sometimes nervousness. But, but really what, what Jesus is saying here, if you look at it, is that Christian prayer ought to be distinct. It's not like Jewish prayer, which runs the risk of, of you know, public adoration or public honor. It's not supposed to be like that. But at the same time, it's also not supposed to be like Gentile or pagan prayer. It's supposed to be distinct. It's supposed to look different. And, and I love how one scholar um, put it, and I'll, I'll read this to you because I want to get it right, and I think this is really helpful. Followers of Jesus keep their prayers short because of their confidence in God. A couple weeks ago, we had, we had talked about the idea of faith. And faith is really, um, uh, and prayer, at least faith and prayer as it, it's uh, connected, is, is not about having faith in something, but rather in someone. And because we have faith in God, we can keep our prayer short because he already knows what we need. And so we're just praying that back to him. Um, recently, I came across um, a couple of, of different preachers throughout the country uh, who engage in a lot of healing prayer. And I was shocked at how short their prayers were. And they seem to be effective. And now as I read this in Matthew chapter 6, I'm beginning to understand. When we have confidence in God, prayers don't have to be long. 
There's no fear. There's no superstition. There's no nervousness. We just have confidence in who God is and what he's capable of. And note also how simple Jesus makes the Lord's prayer, although it's a little bit longer than Luke's. Um, Here it is. Here's verses 9 through 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we ought to pray for um, God's kingdom to come um, because it's already here. And if you're part of the church, you're part of that kingdom. We're citizens of the kingdom. This is an outpost of the kingdom of God, and that happens every time we meet together. But the, but the truth is, it also happens in your own home. Your home is an outpost of the kingdom in your neighborhood. Uh, your desk and your cubicle at, at work is an outpost of the kingdom of God. Why? Because you are part of the kingdom. Um, you've heard this said before, the church isn't just a building or a place you go or a time during the week, but rather it's a group of people. And so when that group of people is gathered together, they are an outpost of the kingdom, but they're also an outpost when they are distributed across the city and in their own homes. So it's appropriate for us to pray that his kingdom come and his will be done. He goes on, give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, or better, I think, lead us not into a time of trial, but deliver us from the evil one. And I I think this is important because you ask for your provision. What do I need today, Lord? You know, our daily bread, what is the provision that I need to to get through my day uh, to to accomplish the things that you have in store? And of course, there's this idea of debts and debtors. And you'll remember a few weeks ago, we talked about this idea of society being divided into patrons and clients and the reciprocal relationships they have. And ultimately, Jesus here, again, is just saying, don't play the game. Don't be part of that culture. You don't need to be because we're kingdom people. We get our provision from the Lord. And remember, he already knows what we need before we even ask it. And I think the last last verse is pretty important. Lead us not into a time of trial. It is okay to pray that you don't have to deal with with trials. Um, It's a good idea to pray for protection that's a great prayer for all of us. Uh, I know that over the course of, I don't know, the last 10 years or more, it's been a constant prayer of ours is, Lord, you know, please keep us healthy and safe. You probably heard me pray that at the end of, of sermons. And now we, we also pray, Lord, protect us from the coronavirus um, because it's real. And um, those are good prayers. I don't want to have to go through those trials if I don't have to. And so I, I pray for those things. Now, at the very end, um, Matthew also attaches some powerful words on forgiveness, but I'm actually going to tackle that at a different time. And the, the practices that are, are listed here, this idea of giving and, and praying and fasting, those, those three practices follow a very serious warning in verse um, number one. Um, and, and it's really about this idea of practicing your righteousness. And, and so here's the thing. I, this is the thing that I, I want you to, to, to ask yourself. From whom do you want 
your reward? Do you want it from other people or you do you want it from God? I think that's a, a really solid question to ask. From whom do I want my reward? And and I've and I've been uh, around and I've I've heard preachers talk about this and, and that's kind of where they land. Um, you probably heard this one too. It's like, well, yeah, obviously I want my my reward from God. And it's really easy to end right there. You know, I, you know, am I going to do this in, uh, in in secret or am I going to do this out in the open? And the best thing I could probably do at that point is just admonish you uh, and exhort you to be different and, you know, try to do more things in secret. But I think there's a deeper lesson here. Um, I think there's another lesson for us. Most people I know don't have this problem. In fact, I know a lot of people who don't like to pray out loud at all. They would just prefer to pray silently in their heads or just when they're by themselves. Uh, They don't like to do it in even a small group of people. And so I think there's a deeper question here. And there's something that um, we need to deal with. Might be a little bit uncomfortable. But, But here it is, here's the question. Do you even want a reward? Do you want some type of reward from God? Because if you do, if you do, if you want a reward, you have to participate. You have to participate if you want the reward. Now, of course, you need to do it in secret. But if you, if you give, and we're not talking about just giving your tithe to the church, but instead find something that resonates with you and, and give your time, give your effort, give your, give your money, yes, you have to actually engage in that in order to receive the reward. Do it in secret, of course. But the point is, is that nothing happens if you don't, if you don't engage in it. Um, fasting is, is the same way. And by the way, if you're going to fast, start small. You don't have to jump in and do a 40-day fast. In fact, I would not recommend that. I, I think that might be hazardous to your health a little bit. But start small. Maybe it's just fasting lunch um, for a few days. You know, instead of going and taking your lunch, you, you know, go into your car if you're at work and you pray for a few minutes. Do your five minutes then. You know, fasting is one of those spiritual practices that we've, we've talked about in the past, but do it in secret. And then maybe you could work up to something more. Maybe you could do a one-day fast or just a juice fast or something. There's different ways of fasting. The point is that there's no reward if you don't participate at all. Of course, do it in secret but get in the game, do something. And so that's the reason why when we're talking about this prayer series of just doing five minutes a day, I just want you to start five minutes, just five minutes. You see, the thing, the thing of it is here, life with Jesus is more than just going to church and feeling good about hanging out with, with your kind of people. <laughs> it's more than that. It's about blessing others. It's about spiritual breakthrough that we all need. It's about growth. It's about answered prayer. And yes, it's about rewards from a good and loving God who sees the things that you do in secret and rewards you. Rewards you for those efforts. We don't necessarily do it for the reward, but if you want the reward, you've got to engage at at some level. And then, and then maybe you can add some of the other spiritual practices. I mean, we've, we've talked about them here at Thrive, you know, many times. And 
you know, you can add your giving and your fasting to your praying if you're just doing it five minutes and work your way up. And the, the point is, is that you're engaged in it. And if, if those, you know, don't float your boat, then there's meditation or there's solitude or there's, you know, Bible study. There's a whole host of things that you can do to stay engaged. Start with prayer, begin adding some of the other practices to it. I, I know, I know you're busy. I know you're busy. I get that. But if you want God's reward, you have to participate in God's practices. The two things go hand in hand. If you don't engage, then there's no hope for any reward at all. But you have to start somewhere. So five minutes. And, and use that simple formula that we have. Just start with joy. Start by praising God for something. You've got something in your life that you can, you can praise him for. Find that one thing and then make your requests known. Then pray and just tell God what it is. Remember, he already knows what it is that you need. But pray those things. And then before you finish, thank him. Give thanks. There's something that you can, you can give thanks for. And I would also add just this little aside is that you ought to track in some way, shape, or form, what happens. If God answers a prayer, you probably ought to write that down. If you are talking with him and you sense something from him, write it down. Well, I don't know if that's from God or not. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Write it down. God will confirm it or he'll deny it or he'll support it or he'll sink it. It doesn't matter. You wrote it down because you're trying to learn how to listen. Remember, prayer is a conversation. It's a two-way street. You say things and you listen. And that's discipleship, listening and responding, listening and responding. And it starts with prayer. Get in the game. Participate in this. Do it in secret, yes. But if you want the reward, you've got to start somewhere. God, my prayer is for every person that's um, listening today, that maybe just somewhere in their heart, they recognize that they do want a reward from the Father. They do want to see prayers answered. They do want to see um, things change, whether in their life or the lives of people around them. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's a broken relationship. All of those things matter to you, and you, you care about them. And so I pray, Lord, that people listening would just try five minutes a day. And God, would you honor that? Meet them right where they are and lead them and guide them um, so that they can see greater reward, greater movement of God to be part of this thing that we call the kingdom. And we're going to give you thanks and praise for all of those things. Thank you for being a good father who loves us and that we can trust you with all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.